Luck on Sunday, proudly sponsored by Albasti Ecruel Dubai. Delighted to welcome our next guest to the Luck on Sunday studio. He both rode and trained winners at the Cheltenham Festival. It's been a glittering career as a trainer. He's one of the most enduring figures in national hunt racing. He trains at Roanhurst in Lambourne. And, of course, he's a grand national winning trainer. His exploits with the much-celebrated and much-vaunted many clouds will live long in the memory. He is, of course, Oliver Sherwood. Oliver, good morning. Thank you morning. for coming. I mean, it's taken us a long time to persuade you to come in, but I'm very pleased uh, that you're here. And you're a man in good form and on good terms with himself, by the looks of things. Yeah, morning. Nick, no. Uh, listen, the horses have been running great. Uh, I'm not a great one for summer jumping, but from when they've run from sort of August, July onwards, they've all run really well. Touch wood. You say you're not a great man for summer jumping. Is that your, is that your traditionalist route, sort of bedding down, really, the, the grounding with Fred Winter? And is it, is it very much that sort of old school mentality? Oh, uh, yes, I think so. But you've got to change. You know, summer jumping is very much here to stay. And uh, the summer festivals, I think, were going to come into play more often, which uh, Dan Skelton mentioned early on this week. Um, so, uh, and you are getting seasons are changing. I know the last winter was very wet. It's going to be looking like, yeah, this winter is going to be very dry. Uh, having said that, it'll probably pour with rain that now for two for two months. So I'll have to eat, eat humble pie. But no, I, I just I find it sometimes quite difficult seeing in the summer we've had three-mile chases running around in very hot weather. Mm. I'm not saying fast ground because the race courses don't allow it now. But um, I, I just feel summer is for flat racing and winter is for jump racing. I, it's a little bit traditionalist. I accept that. Well, you were in a perfect position, really, given the experiences you've had to assess the, the overall health of jump racing. How, how do you rate it? How do you sense the enthusiasm for it amongst people who own horses, people who come to your yard? In yourself, uh, even if you look at the crowds on Friday, record crowds at Cheltenham. I think I'm right in saying I think the mm. crowds are there um, more so. I would say uh, jump racing than flat racing. I think that is because the crowd uh, relate to the individual horses. They're around longer. Uh, don't get me wrong. I love top class flat racing and seeing the horses. John has been running. Uh, John Gosden's been been running. It, it, it's fantastic, but. Uh, uh, getting owners is, is difficult. Um, I'm lucky that I've been training quite a long time and I started training in what I call boom time. There was plenty of money around and uh, I wanted to start training when I stopped riding because uh, you're soon forgotten in this game. Yeah. And I nearly was soon forgotten having had a few barren years after having Cheltenham winners and whatever. I took my eye off the ball probably and luckily the likes of Many Clouds and Puff and Billies and Deputy Dan's have got me back in there but uh, I think jumping is pretty healthy we all want more prize money I think the bottom end is is, is tough whether you're a jump jockey or a trainer or a trainer with a handful of horses it's very tough to make a living but I, I, I think jumping is, is, is in a pretty healthy state tell me about when you started training you said it was a time when a lot of money was sloshing around it's Thatcher's 80s you were a young person in a lovely yard in Lambourne. In a sense, it was the perfect sweet spot, wasn't it? You were everyone's idea of the sort of person they wanted to have a, a horse with because you were young and fun and just starting out. And people people are, are attracted to, to trainers of that of that nature. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, as I said, I'd been champion amateur riding, and they knew me. People relate to me uh, from from that from being Fred Winters' mm. assistant and starting training. So I was hungry. Don't get me wrong. These young lads coming up, the likes of Neil and Dan Skelton, they're keeping us all on our toes. 
so uh, at that time, I wouldn't say it wasn't as competitive as now, uh, but uh, I got sent horses from people because I was the new kid on the block. I've yeah. seen it every year. You get the new kids come on the block, they're hungry. I'm as hungry as... I promise you, as Dan, or as competitive as Dan, or Ollie Murphy, who's on the scene now, and all those boys, uh, and I, I don't like getting beat. I got beat by one of of, of Dan's yesterday, and it, it. Don't get me wrong, I was over the moon with the way he ran, but I, I don't like getting beat. Who does like getting beat? But you have. I think as we get older, we get, we take it better. Mm. And because you have a quite a, a sort of happy countenance when people see you at the races and you're, you're always smiling and, and having a, having a joke. I? Well, I think you are. I think you are. <laughs> I'm known as Mr Grumpy by some people. Well, possibly, <laughs> possibly people who are closest to you, Oliver. But, yeah, probably. Um, Fair shout. But no, I, you're a popular figure in the sport, but does that give people a misleading impression that you're not as hungry and competitive as... As yeah, you actually I, are, because I know how hungry and competitive you are. You're probably right, Nick. Uh, you should, you can answer that better than I do. I can, but I, I, I am, um, I'm, I'm very competitive. I get quite despondent when things are going wrong, but I think every trainer or jockey does that. It, any sport, if you're, whether you're a footballer, cricketer, when, when things are not going right and you're not in form, you get despondent and you, you sort of what can I do differently? I don't like this. I don't like being in the second division. Would you respect the second to the second division? Uh, uh, and you want to try and tweak things to get better, and how do I get better horses and blah? There's no more uh, hungrier, hungrier, more competitive person than poor Nichols and Dan Skelton and everything. They eat, sleep and drink it 24-7. I'm not quite that way. There's more to life as I've got older. Yeah. There's more to life than just horse racing. Uh, but it is my life, and uh, I love my I love other, th- uh, other th- things in life, but... Um, uh, but you're probably right, going back to what you originally said, that because I'm a sort of happy-go-lucky sort of person, uh, that they feel I'm sort of a bit of a joie de vivre and I just get on with this and what comes along comes along sort of thing. But uh, the days of wanting to be champion trainer have gone. Uh, the quality horses I want every year, every trainer wants that. Yeah. You want another Many Clouds or a Koto Star or a Denman or whatever or an Altior. Uh, that's what we get up in the bed, uh, uh, um, get out of bed for in the mornings. But um, to have 150 horses now, I, I, I would knock me for six, I think. In terms of when you had a, a, a barren spell, I mean, it wasn't as though you were training two winners a year. You were still training a few winners, but you said you took your eye off the ball. In, in, in what way? In what <coughs> way were, were you doing things differently? I, no, not differently. I just hadn't got the ammunition. And uh, again, what I said earlier, I was training, I had sort of average horses at the time. We had a 10-year gap, I think, of not having mm-hmm. a, a graded winner. When I'd had a double at the festival and, ch- and Aintree winners uh, and top-class horses, the likes of the Westerwake, Large Actions, Be Rude, Not Too, Coulton's, all those sort of horses. And uh, I can't answer why I took the eye off my ball. I went through a pretty messy divorce, which was not nice. Uh, if it wasn't for Tanya, my wife, I think I would have packed up. And she kept pushing me. And um, uh, then I kept saying to myself, well, what else can I do? So I, I think I'm right in saying, and I actually sort of, I wanted to stay in the game, but I, I was sort of not making, I wasn't making any money. I was losing money out of it. And I actually wrote to John Joe asking if I could have a job with him as a sort of an assistant. Really? You know? And John Joe said to me, um, I got something on my wall in my office, don't you ever give up? And it was worse, it was after John Joe had cancer. 
and uh, you have days when you're down and everything, don't you ever give up? And I've still got it behind my desk in my office. And it's, it's the days, don't get me wrong, uh, when uh, you have bad days and you think, uh, uh, what the hell am I, this is, is it all worthwhile? And then you've got to get up in the morning, you've got another 50 horses to look after, or 30 horses, or whatever it is, and you've just got to move on, you've just got to take it on the chin. Because that's the thing, isn't it? You, you haven't got time to sit and reflect no, particularly and, and, and feel sorry for yourself because you've got these animals to look after and yep. that necessitates you being out of bed at five o'clock every morning. And it's not just the animals, it's the staff as mm. well. We have, a, uh, we have a great team at home. Every trainer says that. You're only as good as a team you've got along with the animals you've, you're training. Um, and uh, we, have a bit of, we have a lot of laugh. The, the banter's good. But I'm a huge believer in if you have a happy staff, you'll have happy horses. And uh, if I was going to pack up, I'm, the, the 50 other, you know, sorry, 15 lads or 20 lads or staff are going to be out of jobs. So that comes into the equation. And I'm, I'm only the captain of the ship. Uh, but uh, they all muck in together and uh, we, uh, they say, what about this boss, what about that? And OK, the final decision comes from me. But um, it's very much a team effort in a, in a yard of my size. Let's talk about Many Clouds, because he's been one of the most storied horses of the last, of the last decade. People responded so well to him during his racing career and responded to him posthumously. You know, he, he ended his life and career in the sort of most heroic way possible, in a sense. It, it, it was an extraordinary story from beginning to end and beyond the end, wasn't it? Yeah, it was staggering. Um, Every trainer sort of, we all hope we're going to get a horse like that. I mean, all the big, Paul and Nicky have, done, have got it and do it year in, year out. Um, I picked him out in the field with Mick Meager, who's Trevor's mm. manager, and just loved, I just loved him. And it was the year I had Puff and Billy as well, who was yeah. quite a good, more precocious animal than many clouds. And he was actually a better hurdler than many clouds was. Uh, but I always thought whatever Many Clouds did, he'd be a um, better chaser. So um, Billy wasn't a complete natural over fences, even though he was very tough. But uh, and he had the, Many Clouds had the perfect owner, with due respect to the other owners. Uh, let us get on with it. Uh, the only thing we did have to do, we, he wanted, Trevor wanted to run him in the Neptune and Mick and I managed to sort of persuade him to run an EVF final because he wasn't ready for mm. a Neptune um, but, and then he grew in confidence as an individual when he first came to me, Many Clouds he was, he was a, um, a timid animal uh, you went if you did anything in the rush in his box uh, he'd cow in the corner and then the more he did, CJ, who, who looked after him, the, uh, just gave him confidence along with Leighton and uh, Nathan Horrocks, who rode him, and he just transferred, transferred from there. It's interesting, actually, because the, the way you're talking about it suggests that he's a horse that, for all we associate, associate him with being incredibly tough and lion-hearted, and that if, if you treated him just in a slightly different way early in his career, he could have fallen apart completely. Uh, I believe that. I certainly believe that. Um, and the fact that somebody said somebody came to me last week, the fact that no other jockey ever rode him in a race bar Leighton. Yeah. No other jockey ever schooled him at home bar Leighton. Not even Tom Garner or my other conditionals who were there at the time ever schooled him. Um, and uh, okay, not to start with early on, but from virtually the middle of his career, bar the odd days, Nathan Horrocks, who's the video cam man. Yeah. 
Uh, uh, He'd be a guest on the show next week. So I gather. Yes. So I can't take so you got him. You got him there first. Yes, yeah. <laughs> absolutely. But he wrote him out every day, and uh, he got to know him inside out. But again, every trainer will tell you, you're only as good as the team you've got mm. giving you feedback. They're giving me feedback. It's all very well looking at gallops and looking how they're moving and everything like that. They know every little idiosyncrasy about an individual boss. He's not quite right. He's a bit quiet today. Uh, he's not. He's a bit tight and this, that, that. It's all coming to me, all to the trainer, to John, or to Neil, or to Nicky. It's logged in here. And then you come to a decision. So um, I think if we'd gone too quickly with many clouds early on in his career and gone into the bigger into two bigger races I don't think he'd have been the horse he was is, is it not true to say though that that many clouds victory in the Grand National was the best training decision you never made correct 100% <laughs> right and that goes to say that it was Trevor's decision and I thought it was a year too soon and uh, listen uh, that's what it's all about it's teamwork again we discussed it and we came out and oh, what's the perfect thing with Brian Clough said we had a discussion and we decided that I was, I was right. <laughs> or, I forget that it's not the exact wordage Brian Clough said, uh, but Trevor was right. He was he, he was right, obviously. And he was, I think I'm right in saying it was the greatest weight carrying performance since Red Rum. It was. It was a remarkable performance. And at the end of this race, there were concerns for for him for his well-being because he was a horse who who used to wobble when when he, yeah. he went past the yeah, post. He that, did it very early on in his life. Yeah. Um, and I remember interviewing you for, for Channel 4, and, and yeah. the first thing, you, you were much more worried about the horse than you were about winning the Grand National at that point, because you didn't know where he was, he hadn't come back into the winner's enclosure, and they had those yeah. welfare procedures Absolutely. in place at Aintree that year. No, I, I, Aintree deserved 12 out of 10. I mean, they were absolutely superb. The backup for the, 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 the medical side of it was second to none. Uh, Mind you, they had to get that way. Mm. From otherwise, I don't think there'd be a national. No, no. So uh, uh, the whole team um, w were absolutely superb. Uh, uh, but I was concerned, and I said to you, I, said, I just want my horse because I wanted the horse to walk into the winners' enclosure because he deserved that, and yeah. Leighton deserved it. Uh, to walk into a winners' enclosure for the Grand National, you, you can't beat it. Just admiring the the tenacity of this horse is is one thing but the impact that he had on on people all across the country was was quite extraordinary have you ever known anything like that in all your time training no definitely not i think a lot of it's to do with the power of the media and social media um but i think as well national hunt racing a horse like that the, the sort of guts that the dual die sort of syndrome come, comes into it and the public relate to a horse who will they they could see that people the real national enthusiasts can really see that he 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 wanted to win and it was just a real tough performance um and i think the public loved that sort of roy the rovers almost mm. type of horse which is what he is or was um, and I've always said, going on to his next, on to his last race, he's a horse who would die for you, which is exactly what he did. And how easily do you, or, or do you think people square that circle? They they love these horses, they admire them, they admire them because they're pushing themselves to the limit of their physical capacity. And then, after winning a race and beating Thistlecrack so heroically, he dies. Mm. And how how do you think we, as a, a racing fraternity, sort of square that circle with ourselves? With difficulty. 
Um, I, it happens to us all. We all go at some stage. I'd love to go some, somewhere like that in a, doing something I loved uh, rather than being a complete vegetable in a, in a bed somewhere. Um, I personally think that most animals, horses, I should say, are looked after, I would, you could arguably say, better than some humans. Um, I think it's sad in some ways that some of the public who don't understand horse racing uh, don't really relate or can't relate to something like this. And I think it's due to education. Uh, as a result nowadays, we do do a lot of morning on the gallops for, for, for charity at dinners and what have you, and it's staggering how many people say to me, I had no idea what went on behind the scenes. They thought horses just turned up at the race courses and ran, mm -hmm. and that was it. But they, you know yourself, and everybody watching this program today know that most all race horses are basically living in a five-star yeah. hotel. When, when you, I don't know how much you, you watch that last run, and, and perhaps you don't at all, but when you, when you do reflect on it, do you reflect with with real sadness, or do you reflect more with pride? No, pride. pride. Of course it's sad. Um, but, I mean, the one thing we actually, we actually sort of, we said beforehand is, oh, God, I hope he doesn't get into a battle with Thistlecrack up the hill, because we very much had the national in mind for him. He'd had a little wind up, and arguably it was the best thing he ever did, because it, it, the, you could say that was his best ever performance, mm. including the national. Yeah. Um, and then after you know, the highs and lows of it was staggering. Um, from winning, I, I watched this race the last three years with Alan King, and uh, we won it the first year. Smab Place won it the second, and we won it this year. And then high, and then getting a phone call from Lisa Kozak, my travelling head girl, to say he'd gone down. From being up there to down, then I just knew he wouldn't get up. Once mm. he'd gone down, he wouldn't get up. Uh, but then. It was pretty tough. That was, that was about the toughest. Uh, I've lost horses before in, in, in what I call in battle on the race course, but uh, that was probably one of the hardest couple of hours I've, I've ever had on a race course. You then did an interview for ITV. You did an interview with Lydia on Racing UK, uh, and you spoke incredibly eloquently and um, extremely fluently at a time which must have been extremely difficult. Did you feel a certain responsibility to do that? Did you yeah. feel a responsibility to reassure the public as to what we were doing with these horses? Definitely, definitely. Cheltenham were very good again. Uh, if it had been 30 years ago, it wouldn't, that sort of thing wouldn't have happened. But um, I think it was important. And uh, I think the BHA deserve a huge amount of credit for doing a post-mortem on him and finding out exactly what, 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 what he did die of. Um, and as I said before, I, I, I hope I go like that sometime. I was going to say something live to, to them on, on the cameras about being doing that with something which I shouldn't probably say on screen at the moment. I'd like to go doing that. But uh, I think it was important to show the public or tell the public and also to show, tell them how much these horses mean to us. We don't actually want you to go anywhere for the time being. So, so, so <laughs> I've got a few years to go, yes. sign your own warrant for the moment. It's, ab <laughs> it's absolutely fine. Uh, you're going to stay with us for the rest of the programme. Thanks, Nick. I'm looking forward to um, hearing you and John Gosling exchange some yeah, some I, ideas I was, a little bit later on. Yeah, I, I, I was I was in Newmarket. I think my apprenticeship working for Gavin Pritchard when John was, I think, assistant to Noel Merlis at the time. But I'll have to check his time. So I was a bit younger then.
Luck on Sunday. Proudly sponsored by Albastiet Cruel Dubai.